0: Thank mm-hmm. you. to Criminal Curiosity, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Jade, and if you're listening to this, thank you so much. It means the absolute planet Earth to me. If you hear me sniff, if you hear me, if my voice goes out, if, like, I sound out of breath, if I sound stuffy, it's the pollen. Yeah, God. Pollen, pollen allergies are a killer, and if you or someone you know struggles with pollen allergies, I, my prayers go out to you. Um, I hate spring for this exact reason I was gonna record yesterday but my voice was like like every second so I just really couldn't also that, that sounded like a dog but anyway today we are going to be talking about the murder of Michelle Martinko who was murdered in a mall parking lot and was solved 39 years later thanks to DNA phenotyping so let's get started on the evening of December 19, 1979, Michelle attended a choir banquet at the Downtown Sheraton Inn Hotel in Cedar Rapids. She wore a black dress, black scarf, black tights, and heels. She was also wearing a waist-length white and brown rabbit fur jacket and a brown leather purse. After the banquet, Michelle was going to go to the Westdale Mall, which is where she worked, and it wasn't really open for that long and she was going to pick up a jacket her mom had put on layaway she had 180 dollars with her and she asked her friend who was on the twirling team if she wanted to join but she declined and said that she had homework to catch upon she took the family's 1972 tan buick Electra car and went to the mall once she arrived at the mall she would talk to her friends that were there shopping but the last time anyone saw Michelle was around 8 p.m to 9 p.m outside a jewelry store. When she hadn't returned home by 2 a.m her father reported her as missing and her father and the police began searching for her. At around 4 a.m the police found the family's car in the northeast corner of the parking lot near a J.C. Penny. Michelle was found inside, slumped over the passenger side of the car. She had been stabbed 29 times in the face, neck, and chest. Her hands showed that she had defensive wounds, which means she put up a fight against her killer. There was no blood outside the car, so the police said that Michelle was killed inside the car. The murder weapon wasn't recovered, and the medical examiner said that it was a sharp, pointed object, but they weren't sure that it was a knife. Because they really couldn't determine the size of, like, stab wounds, I guess, and they couldn't, like, directly point it to a specific knife. The killer left no fingerprints, which led police to believe that whoever did this was wearing gloves. Police weren't sure the gender of the killer, but they were leaning towards a male. No cash was taken from Michelle's purse, so police thought it wasn't a robbery. She was wearing all of her clothes, and there was no sign of sexual assault. And based on where she was stabbed and the number of stab wounds, police described the crime as personal in nature. Some rumors began to circulate. Some people thought that Michelle was receiving harassing phone calls in the days leading up to her death, but police couldn't really prove that it was true or false. Another rumor was that Michelle was killed days after they originally located her body, and police said that 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 rumor was false. The family started to look into Michelle's ex-boyfriends, but with DNA, they were ruled out as well. Five months later, controversy arose. A woman was driving in the mall parking lot on December 20th, 1979. She went to locate her daughter, who had gotten off work at the mall and was having car troubles. She said that she was driving through the parking lot. She did see Michelle's car and another car parked next to it. Michelle's door was open, and a man was standing in the front door. The woman passed that information to the daughter of the Public Safety Commissioner, thinking that the information would be passed on to the authorities, but it never happened. The woman called the police months later, asking if they looked into what she saw, and the police were told that they have no idea what she's talking about, they never received that information. They thought about charging the commissioner with failure to pass along the information to them, but charges were never filed. On June 19, 1980, police released a composite sketch of the man believed to be the killer. They put two witnesses under hypnosis. The witnesses described the man as a white man, late teens to early 20s, about six feet tall, 165 to 175 pounds, with brown eyes and curly hair. The police interviewed about 30 people under hypnosis and the police even brought in psychics. As the investigation went on, the police department begged anyone with information to come forward and even offered a $10,000 reward to anyone that had information. Michelle's father, Albert Martinko, filed a lawsuit against the owners of the Westdale Mall, arguing that they failed to provide reasonable security the night she was murdered. The Iowa Supreme Court ruled in favor of the Westdale Mall. In 1995, her father, Albert, passed away, and in 1998, her mother, Janet, passed away. Twenty-seven years later, in 2006, there was another break in the case. The Cedar Rapids Police Department received a tip, but this tip went nowhere. An officer who was reviewing the case files found what he thought was the killer's blood on Michelle's clothing. 27 years later. Like, that's absolutely crazy. So with this blood, they were able to build a partial DNA profile, and it was determined that fewer than 1 in 100 billion people would match that DNA. And the world's population is 7.6 billion, so if it was a match, it would 100% be the person that they're looking for. The results were entered into the Combined DNA Index System, also known as CODIS, but no match was found. Michelle Martinko was born on October 6, 1961 in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. She was the youngest daughter to her parents, Albert and Jeanette Martinko. Michelle was a senior at Cedar Rapids Kennedy High School in 1979. She was a very smart girl and a very talented girl. She was part of the twirling squad her sophomore year of high school and sang in the Kennedy's Woman Choir in in theater productions. She didn't have really a lot of close friends because it was speculated that a lot of people were jealous of her looks and the way that she dressed. She had plans to attend Iowa State University and to study interior design. They decided to test the DNA against many of the original suspects, but there were still no matches. Out of more than 80 potential suspects over the years, more than 60 were cleared. Eleven years later, using the same DNA, police hired the Parabon NanoLabs in Virginia, and they specialize in DNA phenotyping. And the Parabon can predict someone's phenotype, including their physical appearance and biographic ancestry, just by using their DNA. I looked up some of the cases that they solve and like the pictures of like the suspect and then their actual real life picture. And it's absolutely insane how they get it like 100% spot on. The police really had no leads in the beginning, so they turned to the public asking them if they know anything to please come forward. More than 200 people responded, telling the police all types of information relating to the case. They interviewed dozens of people and using a polygraph test to clear some people. One of the people questioned was a young man who said to be following women around and touching the mannequins in an inappropriate way, but it seemed like he had nothing to do with the case, so they ruled him out. They turned to another man as the prime suspect. The month before he broke into a home in the area, sexually assaulted a woman, and threatened to kill her children. He denied all accusations of being involved with Michelle's murder, and it was proven to be true when DNA evidence was tested. Parabon generated a photo using the DNA from 2006. It was a white male, blonde hair, and blue eyes, which was different from the original composite sketch done by Hypnosis in 1980. The company included a photo of what he would look like now from 1979 to 2017, so they added wrinkles and a receding hairline. A press conference was held and the photos were released to the public. When the photos came out, a former classmate of Michelle's said that the face looked like another one of their classmates, but that classmate was already cleared through DNA testing years prior. More than 100 new leads came in since the images were released. In 2018 the DNA was entered into GEDmatch, a public genealogy website just like DNA or 23andMe. People use these websites to find out their like ethnic backgrounds and to find biological relatives. I did it and um, I was kind of skeptical to the rate at first but it's really interesting. The Jedmatch was really known for catching the Golden State Killer. Jedmatch came back with one result and it was determined that it was the killer's second cousin once removed. They then started a family tree, using the female's four set of great-great-grandparents, claiming that the killer was most likely a descendant of one of those couples. They were able to obtain DNA from two of the branches of the family tree, eliminating those and focusing on the other two. A Cedar Rapids police officer contacted a family member from the third branch in the family tree. A DNA test was done and it was confirmed that this person was first cousins with the killer. They were able to narrow their suspect list down to three brothers who grew up in Manchester, Iowa. All three brothers were brought in for questioning and put under surveillance. Two of the brothers were eliminated through DNA testing. On October 29, 2018, Jerry Burns didn't give up his DNA voluntarily. During questioning, he drank a few cans of soda with a straw. After he was released, police collected it and tested it for DNA on Michelle's clothing and it was a match. On December 19, 2018, two investigators went to question Jerry Burns at his business in Manchester, Iowa. They asked him for a sample of his DNA, and he refused. But they had a search warrant, so he really had no choice but to give them a sample. During questioning, he showed little to no emotion. He claimed he didn't know Michelle. When they asked if he killed anyone on December 19, 1979, He kept saying, test the DNA. When the DNA sample was tested, it came to match the blood sample at the crime scene. When he was told that he was being arrested for murder, he showed no emotion. He was arrested on December 19th, 2018, exactly 39 years after Michelle was murdered. The original trial was set for October 14th of 2019. But the defense asked for more time to gather witnesses and evidence. The trial officially began on February 12, 2020. The defense argued that the evidence in the case had been mishandled, saying that different types of clothing shouldn't have been placed in the same bag together. Prosecutors brought in a criminologist and the criminologist said that when it comes to storing evidence, it's not the wildest thing to ever happen. Jerry Burns had no alibi for the night of Michelle's murder. The defense argued that Burns had been to the mall before and maybe his DNA transferred to Michelle that way, that maybe Michelle brushed up against something that he already touched, which didn't really make sense in the court. It's kind of like a petty excuse, like a random thought that doesn't go anywhere. The prosecutors played the video of the police interviewing Burns in which he denied being at the crime scene and couldn't explain how his DNA had been found at the scene. They also played another part of the video where Burns questioned whether he could mentally block out the murder not remembering that he did it at all. Which is crazy because here you are saying you don't know her, you weren't at the scene and you have no idea how your DNA got there. But at the same time you say you could have done it and mentally block the murder out of your head. This man had no emotion when they arrested him and told him that his DNA was found at a crime scene from 1979 and that he's being arrested for murder. You best believe that if it was me I would literally poop my pants. You knock on my door and tell me that my DNA is at a crime scene from 1979 and I'm being arrested for murder? Yeah, I would most definitely poop my pants or have a heart attack. That, I feel like those things only happen in movies, but not Jerry. Jerry literally showed no emotion. On February 20th, 2020, after three hours of deliberation, the jury found 66-year-old Jerry Burns guilty of first-degree murder of Michelle Martinko. At the time of the murder, he would have been 25 years old. Iowa, they have this law that says that anyone that is convicted of first-degree murder must serve a life sentence with no possibility of parole. After he was found guilty of murder, some suspicions started rising. His wife supposedly died of a suicide in 2008. Some people questioned if it was actually suicide or not. Secondly, his cousin vanished on, get this, on December 19th, 2013, 34 years after Michelle was murdered. Even though they are just thoughts, you know, there's no like evidence or facts to, you know, support it, the police had no reason to suspect Burns in either of the cases. Michelle's sister and her husband were interviewed, and they said, quote, closure isn't necessarily what we feel. More than anything, it's justice, end quote. Janet, Michelle's sister, was 12 years older than her, and she said the most heartwarming thing was hearing Michelle's friends take the stand and share their memories of her. Again, my eyes are just getting watery once again. Jerry Burns had a very distinct scar one that was assumed to be left by Michelle when she was fighting for her life on the night of December 19th, 1979. Michelle definitely is a fighter, and the chances are that if she didn't fight so hard, there would have been no evidence of the killer's DNA left behind. Janet's husband says, quote, in other words, Michelle caught her own killer, end quote. Ugh, my eyes are watering again. Michelle, sure is a fighter. And yeah, like, like um, Janet's husband said, she most definitely caught her own killer. Something I wondered and something so many people wondered is the events leading up to her death. Jerry Burns really isn't giving up any piece of information. He says he didn't do it. Then he says he blocked the murder out of his head. Michelle's family now know who killed their loved one but they probably will never know why she was killed. Like, what was the reason for taking such a young, beautiful girl away that had her whole future ahead of her? There was no evidence, really, to say that Jerry knew Michelle. Um, so, like I said, there's, like, what was the motive for killing her? Um... This case was solved thanks to GEDmatch, which I find absolutely crazy how powerful technology and DNA has into solving so many cold cases. Since April of 2019, GEDmatch has been able to solve 59 cold cases and they're still working on more. What I find mind-blowing is that they were able to use one piece of DNA to create an entire family tree and then narrow it down to one single person. Also, I will have a link down below in the description of people that have been caught using the Jed match, such as the Golden State Killer, and you can see other cases just like this one. So that is the end of today's story. Let me know if you would ever want me to do more true crime cases that basically took years, decades to solve, like the one I talked about today, because I find DNA, all that stuff, so amazing and mind-boggling. I would love to know what you guys think, so thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned for next week's episode that comes out every Thursday. You can follow my Instagram at Criminal Pod, where you can see the pictures of the case behind the scenes or just to keep up with what's going on. This podcast is available on all podcast platforms such as Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. If you listen to this on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review because that would mean the absolute planet Earth to me. And please be safe out there, look out for one another. Until next time, bye everyone.